Hey, Helen. Hey, Greg. How's it going? It's cool. I'm, I'm good. You know, I just got back from a couple of days, restful days out of the office. Did I miss anything? Actually, you did miss something. Uh, I got a chance to chat with Massimo Batura. You know Shut Massimo. Up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what? For, for this very podcast, so. What? You know, yeah, yeah. Massimo Batura, he is the chef proprietor of this restaurant, Osteria Francescana in Modena, Italy, uh, which was at one point the best restaurant in the world, according to the San Pellegrino list. Holy crap, Greg. Uh, That's an amazing yeah. conversation to have. I bet that interview kicks ass. He talked about a lot of really interesting things, especially something that I don't think a lot of people are totally up to speed about. I mean, I feel like when you hear the name Massimo Batura, you think of his restaurant, Osteria Francescana. You might think of uh, his episode of Chef's Table. He had the first episode of Chef's Table. He was the subject of it. First but, ever one. Um, but over the last few years, he's gotten sucked into this world of creating these community kitchens all over the world. And he has a bunch more that he's going to, to launch soon. And the idea is that they're using food waste uh, to create these community centers and to like feed the people. But they're not just like soup kitchens. They're like these cool spaces that are supposed to be permanent parts of the city and these exciting hubs. And he came to this idea after going to a conference with a bunch of other chefs where they were talking about what to do with food waste. And as far as I'm concerned, it's just as interesting what he's working on right now um, as what is on the plate at Osteria Francescana. So. Well, I can't wait to sit back and listen to your interview with him. But don't worry. We also talk a lot about what's going on at his restaurants, what's going on with like being the chef that everyone looks up to and having all these accolades heaped upon him. We talk about his relationship with Alain Ducasse. We talk about pasta and we talk about Parmigiano Reggiano, which the guy is just like obsessed with. I love it. I love a guy who's totally obsessed with cheese. Greg, I cannot wait to listen to this interview. Let's jump right in to reminding everyone to subscribe to the Eater Upsell and also to tell their friends about it and to give us a five-star ratings in the Apple Podcast Store and also jump right into that interview. Greg, take it away. Food for Soul sounds like this huge project that is maybe just kind of getting started. Was it you say that's <laughs> about how it... You know, Greg, the, it exploded in our hands because uh, the idea was uh, just uh, something that came out uh, from the, the Universal Exposition theme in Milan mm-hmm. uh, two years ago when, uh, when we had like this uh, Feed the Planet team. It's, it's amazing, no? For a universal exposition, feed the planet. But, you know, all these uh, states, they were like c- confronting the chefs just to involve them in, uh, in, a, in a dinner, for a party. But they didn't ask us the right question. They didn't want to know what we were thinking. So I said, why not? I'm going to try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think, how can I do to feed the planet with my ideas. And uh, I knock at the door of the, of the, of the church in Milan, and, they, and they, they were listening to me, and at one point they said, okay, we're going to give you a space, because we didn't have the money, of course, and uh, you can do 
whatever you want. We're going to restore that and, uh, you know, you're going to deal with this guy. And we did it. I started calling my friends saying, guys, I need you. And in not even 45 minutes, I had yes from every single friend from all over the world that joined me in Milan in this amazing theater from 1930 that the architects, they rebuilt, they regive life to that. And, uh, and the designer, they, they, they design amazing communal tables. The artist, uh, they place amazing piece of art uh, about, uh, you know, um, the theme. Uh, there is a very important neon outside called, uh, in which you, you have no more excuses. That means stop talking. We need action. So a chef with, with uh, in my idea, a chef with uh, using uh, uh, the knowledge and uh, is ready to, uh, was ready, really ready to serve and to use, to, to use uh, uh, the knowledge to um, replace and re, re-give life uh, to the ingredients that the inevitable uh, leftover from the Universal Exposition. Numbers are numbers. 860 million people, they have nothing. 1.4, 1.5 are overweight. 1.3 tons of food is wasted. So I think chefs right now in 2017 are much more, they represent much more than the sum of their recipes. And so we give the example to the world for what we could do. And uh, we give the example to all the young generation. We set up something extremely important. The, in the beginning, it was extremely, you know, delicate because uh, in this amazing space, these people, the refugees, uh, homeless, they were coming in and, uh, you know, and uh, they were very shy. After three weeks, 20 days, you know, celebration every night. And, uh, you know, we saw the smile in the face of these people. And, uh, you know, they were like chatting and uh, confronting uh, Narizawa or Dukas uh, or Rene or Alex Atala or Mario Batali. You know, every single one of us shooting picture together, you know, playing music. Uh, I remember this uh, Senegalese uh, guy, guitar player, who was uh, playing the folk of his, uh, as an African, really deep Africa. You know, it was just amazing. So what we learned in these six months, that this soup kitchen was not a real soup kitchen. It was something much more, much deeper. It was something to rebuild, that helped to rebuild the dignity of the people. So we realized that our project was much more than a charity project, was a cultural project. So that's why we need you guys, the press, the journalists, they're going to spread this word in, in the world because we need to set up this incredible idea in the mind of every single family in the world because fighting we don't need to have a bigger production we need to fight the waste and use product in a different way i was just in a santa monica market now 
at, it's amazing. So, so many people walking around, buying a little bit of this, a little bit of that. This is the way you have to approach. Buying what you need. First, seasonal. Second, what you need for, for a couple of days to have, uh, you know, to cook what you have in a refrigerator. So you're going to eat better and you're going to save money and you're not going to waste food. And this is a, a very important uh, suggestion. It's an incredible project. Uh, one thing immediately, just as you, you're talking about how this evolved, I mean, it sounds like it was basically almost like a pop-up that turned into a, a permanent thing. And, you know, you run a very esteemed restaurant. Uh, it sounds like you're now running with each each of these community kitchens you open, like another little restaurant. Is that at all daunting to think <laughs> about that from an operation standpoint? It's, um, you know, without Osteria Francescana, in which uh, I always say is a laboratory of idea, we create culture. We couldn't do this project. We are all so on the same level of idea, of thinking, and and uh, we create all these kind of, um, uh, how can I say, we, we, we really uh, are on, uh, on the track of uh, what we are doing and what is the dream. We build the dreams together, you know. And so without them, without my big family, because it's not just Lara, Charlie, or Alexa, but it's the big family of Osteria, I couldn't do it. The explosion, the, the, the result after this, you know, still now in Milan, they're serving 550 meals every night, you know, and using the waste from uh, the supermarkets around the area. As uh, in Rio de Janeiro, when we open uh, during the, univer the Olympic Games, they are there and they are serving 550 meals uh, every week. So that that's we are not interesting in pop up. We are interesting in place places seeds. You know they're gonna grow and they're gonna be expanding all over the world. That's why you know the Rockefeller Foundation was so interesting interested in our project that uh, gave us a grant to explore the possibility to open many different soup kitchens in the United States. So the United States, if you can think about, you know, starting one of these projects anywhere in the world, why the United States? Uh, actually, because it's a very megaphone so, uh, for that, but because uh, we did Milan and the, and the moment of the Universal Expedition, so it's the first seeds. Then uh, the Olympics, that was unbelievable. You know, the New York Times article about Andrew Jacobs is like, is been, uh, you know, the, the, the key to open the door of every single, uh, you know, journalist in the world. And, uh, and then uh, Modena and Bologna, our, our town, our, our place, in 5th of June, we're going to open London. That is a place that really needs... Uh, something like that. And we, we still are open for possibility. We always keep a door open for the unexpected. But uh, when uh, at this point, I think uh, United States is uh, very important. Not because you are like the, the biggest, uh, you know, uh, country for waste, because it's like you have like 40% of food that you, of the production that you, you waste. You know, there are places that are like, for example, Brazil is 50%. Uh, 
the other place of 60%. It's, it's, it's insane. How do you find out this information? Uh, I have FAO, uh, you know, the all uh, that they, they gave me all these numbers that are very, very important. Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing says, like, the more important uh, what we do is, like, uh, we, are, we, we use our knowledge to, uh, that we share with uh, all the volunteers. So, like, in, in moments like Brazil, for example, it's not just uh, about uh, food waste, but it's about the culture and how you prepare things. So, it, at one point, we had, uh, like, this old counter full of brown bananas, amazing bananas. Think about Brazil and the brown bananas, how concentrated the food was, the, the, the flavor was. So they were preparing a sorbetto because one of the key points of the, every single kitchen at the refettori is uh, a gelatiera. So we were preparing that, and they prepare a sorbetto with 50% of sugar. I was, like, in shock. When I try, I didn't have any taste of banana in my palate, just sugar. So it's like I said, okay, guys, let's move to 30. Then we're going to move to uh, 10, then zero with this kind of banana. So we made like the four different sorbet in, a, in a, one close to the other and we tasted. And they learned they didn't need 50% of sugar. They need 0% of sugar because the bananas, they were so perfectly ripe and intense and concentrate that, uh, you know, the flavor was exploding in the palate. Well, so maybe yeah. for the first time, they really taste the flavor of banana. It's being a good chef and, and also being good about waste, I suppose. It's, it's very, very <laughs> important. It's very important, you know. Okay, so it sounds like you're learning some lessons with these refettorios. Is that how you say it? Am I saying it correctly? Refettorio, yeah. Refettorio. That, from the Latin word reficere, to rebuild, to restore. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Yeah. So there was... Um, we knew you were coming to America. There was an Instagram post of you and Robert De Niro, who is not just a great <laughs> restaurant uh, actor, but also a great restaurateur. Yeah. We were wondering, what is this going to be? And I read that eh, it didn't quite work out, but it turns out you had a much bigger uh, designs than just doing something mm. in the Bronx. So yeah, the the yeah. Bronx is still a part of the, that's still one of the places you, yeah, you want to open uh, something? Yes, we have, uh, we have this uh, good relation with uh, San Barnaby Hospital. You know, we have uh, the Council of uh, of Italy that is like pushing me so much. We need uh, we need it in the Bronx. Uh, is uh, the poorest community in the whole United States? Is the place where all the food arrives and then is distributed in the East Coast? Uh, we need it in the Bronx. And uh, you know, walking on the street in New York, you know, the people they stop me saying, "Oh, Massimo, have we heard uh, you're gonna open uh, in New York?" I said, "No, it's gonna be." A soup kitchen for it's 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 a, a project to fight uh, to fight waste and oh I'm even better I'm gonna get I'm gonna be volunteering uh, you know it's there's an incredible enthusiasm and yesterday night we were at the UCLA and um, the students they were like we need it in UCLA I said wow that's a good idea because I think in university you know have a, a uh, a project like that in university will be unbelievably important because uh, is exactly as a cultural project in the heart of culture, the mind of the young generation uh, is going to be mainly unbelievable. So I'm really, I'm really happy of uh, you know going back to Modena with this kind of feedback from uh, from US. 
most nonprofit food-related organizations, and there are so many great ones out there, um, a lot of times you hear about what they're going to do with the food and how they're going to use food or use food waste, which is you know part of this project is also. But you don't always hear about that idea that you mentioned a few times already about culture, you know? Yes. And like culture, these are spaces, knowledge, yeah. consciousness, sense of responsibility. In re- in Osteria, we we build culture. We it's a laboratory of ideas that open the mind of the people, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, Knowledge. The chefs are sharing their knowledge to with the volunteers. They're like use their knowledge and technique and the, their time to work with uh, ingredients. They're not the one they use every day. Or they show the world what they can do with this kind of amazing ingredients. And uh, consciousness. Once you receive everything in your life, it's time to give back. You know, that's the very important point. And the sense of responsibility, you have to do something for the others. Was that a conscious sort of move after you hit so many accolades in your career, three Michelin stars, top of that that world's best 50 list, do you think now, like, now it's time to shift the focus to something else or to take on more, and or you feel like you have more capacity, or? I, I think uh, the restaurant, the Osteria, it's never been good as it is now. It's unbelievable. Everything we think, every single idea, arrive in a, like in an amazing result in a plate. You know, it's just the, the sum of the experience of uh, my two soup chefs. One is Japanese, the other is from Abruzzi. One is the rigor of uh, Japanese technique. The other is like the the craziness of the Italian managing the the unmanageable things, you know. But also um, here with me, there are two Canadians, one from Toronto, one French uh, things, another guy from Modena, you know, uh, Spanish, Latin Americans, Americans. Uh, you know, it's it's the sum of everything that is compressed into edible bites every day, sitting on centuries and centuries of history, because it's deeply Italian what we do, filtered by a contemporary mind. And all these ideas, they float so well. You know, one thing I find interesting is that you're very associated with some dishes that you're very famous for. Yes. And I imagine some of these you can't take off the menu. There are in the menu. We have also a la carte menu uh, that is uh, for for people, it's very difficult to keep a, a la carte menu in a restaurant that is fully booked every lunch and every mm-hmm. dinner for months and months in advance. But we need to do it because a luxury for me is have the possibility to sit at the restaurant like the ours with such a you know easygoing approach and have just a plate of tortellini, you know, and say, wow. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is very, very important. And, uh, you know, to create an a la carte menu is a very difficult, is very different mental approach to the food because you don't have to eat like one bite or two bites or three bites, but 10, 12 bites. So it has to be delicious, amazingly delicious, not provocative, amazingly delicious. Then you have the menu. So you have one menu that is... Uh, the classics, like 
all the most famous plates, like uh, the crunchy part of the lasagna, the suckling pig, blah, 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 blah. Then you have the most contemporary. One is Festina Lente, the other is everything. So everything I have in mind. And, uh, you know, it's the menu is like... Uh, so some degree of it is changing. Like if you go year... If you are like, I'm going to go to Osteria every year and make this pilgrimage, you will always be getting some new. Yeah. With so there are plates that are evolving, evolving during all the seasons. Plates that are brand, brand new. They're like uh, part of the experience uh, that uh, every, maybe even every month, you know, the menu is changing. That's that's very cool. It's very um, cool. But if you have the capacity and you have the right team, you you have the the right energy, you can do it. That sounds like uh, you know, just listing all the people front of the house and back of the house. That you, have, it sounds like you got the right team. Would you say that's true? It's twenty two years that I'm working on my team. Twenty two years that we opened Osteria Francescana, and in twenty two years, finally, we realized that. We put together the right people. And the, the, the things that really impress me is that no one wants to leave. <laughs> they, they all stay there. So I have to push them, come on, go out, yeah, go out, say, try, try different things. Oh, chef, it's, it's about, I think, cultural stimulation you give to people. You know, or if you stimulate culturally, the people, they get it. You know, even uh, even 18, 19 years old, uh, you know, they they don't know anything about the world. They just came out from uh, from school. But if you start pushing them with uh, with the music, for example, in the kitchen, the first two hours, hour and a half, you listen to Mozart and then you move to other things can be Charlie Parker, can be Bob Dylan, can be different things. They're going to get it. They're going to understand if you push them not to get lost into their cellular phone, uh-huh. but to touch a book, to open it, touch the paper, realize what you're reading. So is it like open up to sort of the creative, I don't know, uh, like a kind of creative environment as opposed to an exactly. I am, I'm here to chop exactly. and... That's the very important. That's very important. You know, you, in a in a in a bathroom, you have all these uh, um, you know photographs of some of the most important paintings uh, during the last uh, uh, century, in which you have uh, from the impressionist to the most uh, uh, you know contemporary art to understand better. What is like the, or even the, from the aesthetic to the attic point of view? That sounds uh, that sounds like a very unique space there. And, uh, <laughs> it's cool, and inspiring. So, okay, if you're a young chef uh, and you want to work for Massimo, like, how does wh- wh- what are you looking for? I imagine there's not a lot of openings in that kitchen, no. but no, there's a. We have uh, almost two thousand requests for stage, and but uh, we don't have the space. Uh, we have to keep going with um, with what uh, what we have, but what I really look for is uh, passion. To me, it's not important uh, the curriculum. Yes, for for like in a technical way, yes, but technique we already have. You know, we have uh, this kind of developing um, 
place in which, you know, we try to every day, every day, every hour, different technique. And uh, But if you have passion, you know, getting deep into things, it's contagious. Mm-hmm. And a smile and human approach. You know, we have uh, people, they have difficult things, you know, in, in even physically. But we, we care about the smile, the good attitude, the way you, you know how to approach f- in a team. You know, if you, if you play for yourself, you're not good for the team. If you pay for the team, and even if you're amazing, the people, they're going to recognize you. And, uh, you know, it's gonna, you're going to stay. That's, it sounds like you got some people to, to stick around. Yes. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it took 22 years. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, 22 years in the life of a restaurant is, uh, it's like dog years or something. <laughs> I mean, it's very long. Um, so I just wanted to circle back because I'm so interested in the Food for Soul, what you guys are working on. So do you have a timeline of how you want to approach America? Do you want to open this many refectorios? in this many years or how are you and like what is the first thing you do do you talk to chefs you say in those cities and say do you want to work what what's the what's the problem here what this is the last the, the, of our problems because every single chef is ready to be part of this project so it's like first of all when you are in a in a project like this you need a space focus on a space then you need to have an approach with who's going to run the everyday life. Now, the New York University with a new um, new school, they're going to. Uh, they're going. There are a, a couple of guys. They're searching and they're studying the way, and uh, they can, uh, you know, spread all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even with Rockefeller Foundation, we are, like, discussing this. To me, personally, from my heart, you know, I would love to go down to San Francisco because, uh, to sorry, to New Orleans, because New Orleans is, uh, is the place of the jazz, uh, you know, one of my biggest passion. And, uh, you know, the city has been hit by incredible, like, and I feel it, you know, because Modena has been hit by the earthquake like three, four, five years ago. And, and you know, I feel this kind of stuff. And even Detroit, you know, New Orleans and Detroit, to me, in my, in my heart, is like, uh, I think uh, they could be very interesting. Then uh, Bronx, Denver. Denver, you know, there's a, the old community. Lara just came back from uh, Boulder in a conference. She met uh, the old staff of... Uh, uh, slow food, uh, America, they moved to Denver and they are creating an incredible community. So it can be very interesting to uh, Denver too, you know. So we are open. And uh, you know what we need? We need energy, you know. Like when I when I knock at the door of the church years ago, uh, they, they, they listen what I had to say and they look at me and they said, thank you, Massimo. Thank you for your passion and for your energy. So that is what makes a difference, you know. So if I need the right energy in a suburb of 
Chicago, I'm gonna go there and find a way and explore to find a way to open there, you know? Very cool. Well, it sounds like, uh, yeah, so it sounds like London in June. London, June. And you guys are working with a lot of information right now. You have a grant. You're kind of figuring it out. That's yes, what it sounds like. yes, That's yes. Really cool. Step by step, we're going to come. So I just know from talking to chefs and just kind of, you know, following the world of, of gastronomy, I feel like a lot of people look up to you. You know, like, yeah. let's say young gun chefs, you know, you're throwing out all these ideas. I have ideas. this feeling. <laughs> yeah, you have this feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, c- I couldn't walk in the market of Santa Monica because there are so many chefs that were all stopping. And, you know, chef, you're my biggest inspiration. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it feels very good. That's cool. You know, that means you're doing the right thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just at the restaurant, but uh, it's like... In the way you act, so because you know a good chef is a good chef, chopping, saute, and serve good food, it's very easy. But when you have to eat emotions, it's totally different. You right. Know? Well, I mean, whether you planned it or not, I mean, it sounds like you are a role model to a lot of chefs. And I'm just kind of curious, as a young gun, as you know, when you were when you were coming up, is there anybody that you like looked up to? Is there anyone that you said? This is somebody who I want to take some information from and, and I want to look up to like that. Or was it? That was a long time ago. It was uh, 1986. And uh, at that time, uh, it was not like this. <laughs> Gastronomy was not like this. In Italy, you know, there were like very interesting chefs. Uh, I grew up uh, with uh, in a very large family in which food, uh, art, music was part of the everyday life. And so I was very exposed since uh, since I was young. And that's, I think, why I have uh, this kind of palate, you know. And, um, you know, um, it, it, I, in the first years, uh, I really struggled. But uh, at one point, I met uh, Alain Ducasse. Uh, at that time, I was uh, just focusing on uh, Hotel de Paris. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to get invited there and cook for him. And uh, I think was the first farm to table directly from the market to the pan and the, and the plate of the, the people, of the, of the, of the guests. And um, I think uh, that was an extremely, extremely important step because, uh, because I think uh, he transferred the obsession about quality. That can be quality of the ideas, quality of the ingredients, quality of the service, the obsession about quality. So that was the passion that, that you kind of yeah. rubbed off a yeah. little bit? Yeah, that was uh, something extremely important. And, uh, you know, at the end of the stage, uh, he did something extremely strong and, uh, you know, aggressive. But was something that changed uh, my perspective of life and how I look at myself. You know, I met him in the hall of the hotel. He approached me. So, Massimo, how you feel? You ready to go? I said, Chef, it's been unbelievable. I have to go back. Uh, you know, there's something going on in Modena. So uh, he said, did you take notes? Uh, did you? Oh, I said, Chef, look at this. I have the old book full of notes. And uh, I showed him, I show him these notes. And what he did, he crushed them 
and he's throwing the garbage. I was in shock, like all the notes and temperature and recipes in the garbage. And I look at him and say, Chef, what are you doing? But you are ready to stand up on your feet, walk. You know, I was like, wow, I didn't get it immediately. But after I understood, he was totally right because he gave me such an amazing energy to show. And, and uh, you know, I start believing in myself such in a deeply way because if someone like Ducasse said something to me like that, it means you really believe in me. Yeah, that's some that's Jedi stuff or something. Unbelievable. It's like when, when I met Jiro in, uh, in, uh, in, in Tokyo, he was focusing on how, how I was eating, you know? And I felt it. You know, I had Ferran Adria on my side, Joan Rock on the other side, Lara, uh, Alex Atala. Mm, you know, we were, we were there. Just, and he opened the restaurant just for us. And he was focusing on my face. And I felt it, you know. But at the end, he, he called the waiter because he didn't, doesn't speak any language except of Japanese. And he said, tell Massimo that in another life, he was a Japanese. Because he eats like a Japanese. <laughs> what is, and what it, does that mean? Like, it means, uh, he said, uh, he thinks uh, I have one of the most amazing palate in the world. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's very... It's a compliment from coming from that gentleman. Yeah, compliments. And uh, it's like, f since then, uh, you know, we became friends and friends, Soma, for what uh, you can be friends with, with uh, a 90 years old ja uh, Japanese uh, Chef, but, you know, we're going to do something together in Japan in next uh, November. What? Yeah. Like a pop-up It's a news. That's a news. That's coming out. <laughs> wow. That, yeah. well, that'll probably I be hope, some. I hope so. I hope so. That'll be some bucket list meal for some, many people, I'm sure. <laughs> I think it's going to be <laughs> so you can't a tell long us, line, can't, a long waiting list. <laughs> can't tell us much about it, but it's some kind of collaborative thing with you and Jiro, maybe? Mm, I think it's going to be more. Or a conference, a talk about cool. tradition, about evolution, oh, wow. about how we see the world, about the long, long approach about technique, about evolving, growing slow like a tree, you know, wow. day by day. So something I'm always really interested in, a restaurant like the one that you have, um, and, you know, you mentioned Ferran a little bit, and I think about this all the time with, like, WD-50, Wiley's Place, which yeah. is no longer there. Like, those recipes and those things that you create are very important to other chefs around the world. They hear Maybe they see a photo of them, or maybe they go to your restaurant and they taste them, and they want to know, they want to, like, learn about it. And I know that documentation, writing it down, is, like, something, like... The Ilbuyi guys did. Maybe Wiley has a book coming out. And I'm just kind of curious, how <laughs> how much is that a part of your process? When you make a new dish, are you like, I need to put down every information of piece of this information to disseminate it later? Yeah. I think a, a contemporary chef has to be contemporary most of the time in his mind. And he has to know, you know, if there is a recipe that doesn't evolve constantly, even now, uh, in a restaurant, for me, it's like first of before and after is gonna degenerate. So I take it off from the menu. There is a dish, a recipe 
called five different age Parmigiano in five different texture and temperature that I create in 1993 when Ducasse came. At that time, there were like just three Parmigiano in texture and temperature. There is a, the chef de partie right now is a, a very good Canadian chef that she approached to, to, the, to, the, to the recipe in a, in a very straight way with the recipe, with, with grams and the preparation like that. During the, the first month, she didn't realize that from one Parmigiano, from spring to another Parmigiano, from summer, from a one to the, to the hills, another one with white cow's milk or red cows from Reggio or brown cows from Parma is different. Seasonal. So the point local. is, uh, took one year to understand that every day in the kitchen, you have to check the ingredients, understand what you are looking for, mix the right quantity using the right product. If you need intensity, you need a Parmigiano from the hills with a very concentrated milk with 50 months of aging process. If you need some smooth things that is mixing with ricotta, you need a, you need a 24 month from the flatland with the right cheese maker that is giving you the perfect balance between acidity, bitterness, fresh, uh, you know, um, herbs. So you have this kind of approach. You have to have this kind of approach in the kitchen. So, you know, once you understand that, the recipe is still evolving day by day by day by day. I've honestly never thought about this before. You think about you see a recipe in like a cookbook or, you know, you see it online, you try and do it. I mean, I don't think about all those things, but yeah. that must be what separates you know, the, the good from the great. It's you know? a, it's a, a when, when you do like, oops, I dropped the lemon tart and you don't have the juice from the lemon from Sorrento that you don't need even to put sugar in the, in the zabayone when you make it because it's so sweet and smooth in a taste, deep, and with this kind of incredible fragrance, it's like, it's, it's another plate, you know? So for me, ingredients are very important. Today, I was having a at the Santa Monica market, I had a taste of strawberries, you know? So I start with one, then another, then another, then another, then arrive at the last one that was like a small strawberry that reminds me my youthness when I was in September tasting the grape, strawberry grape, that my grandmother used as a, used as a pressing as a, and extract the juice from that and create a custard that the kids love that, is uva fragola. That was something so deep and so emotional for me that I had to buy some of that. And uh, I'm going to make a, a strawberry bellini with balsamic vinegar for a dinner at Providence. You know? Wow. This is, this is what you have to do. You have to have always open door for the unexpected in which you can jump and get and swim into poetry. And that's what makes a difference. 
Sounds like that makes a pretty big difference, actually. <laughs> um, so we've reached the point of the show called the lightning round, where we have some guest questions. Yep. Um, today, our questions are from Hillary Dixler, Eater's senior editor who covers restaurants over at Eater.com. Hi, Massimo. This is Hillary Dixler, and I have some questions for you. If you're having a picnic with Lara in Central Park and can only pack three things in your basket, what are they? Uh, I would... I would go for, depend the season, but picnic is like spring and, uh, you know, spring and summer. Let's say late spring. I would pick, you know, some uh, fruit, uh, parmigiano, a little bit of balsamic vinegar. So parmigiano is a substance that you never that is endlessly kind of <laughs> It's a, it's a, I can say I can say you know it's something that is I want I want to impress Lara with my with my products you know I want to say listen you want to move to Modena and uh, you know is a place where we we can make this kind of things you know an amazing balsamic vinegar, very old, and my family does that very well. Actually, we got the gold medal in 2015 for the oh, best wow. vinegar, yeah, with Villa Manodori. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, and uh, the cheese that, uh, you know, even the allergic to dairy product can eat after 24 months because the lactosio is transforming protein, something unique in the world. And some uh, of the fruit in a in a in a Union Square market, uh, you know, of seasonal fruit you can get in, a, you know, and mix together the three elements would be very impressive. So when you're in New York, where do you where would you shop for such a thing? Like where do you like to go? Uh, it can be Italy, you know, the two big uh, Italian uh, supermarket. Can be you know William uh, William and Sonoma can be for the vinegar uh, you know Dean and De Luca uh, all food uh, all food uh, they have incredible selection of Parmigiano Reggiano. Oh, is that yeah is that, yeah I yeah got a whole food all yeah the time. I know I know the buyer of the Katie Strange from Austin Texas she's so into food she knows the numbers numbers of the consortium so she knows where to to buy that product or where to buy the other one. You know, she knows when it's better at 36 months than 24. It's wow. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. All right. Hillary, what's another question for Massimo? Have you ever put up an Instagram and realized it was a bad idea and deleted yes, it? Yes, and deleted it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did. I did. In Cuba. In Cuba. Yeah, I okay. was in Cuba. I met this general, you know, of the Castro era. So I thought it was cool. And then, uh, you know, some of the people, they were like, okay, using bad words on me. And I said, mm, maybe they're right. And I, I, I deleted it. All right. Hillary, hit Massimo with another question, por favor. When you first came to America, what junk food were you most taken with? <sighs> Easy. You know, hot dog on the street. Street, dirty water dog? Yeah, dirty water dog. I, but I love them. <laughs> Unlike anything in, in Italy you had or just a, a certain kind of sensation? No, I, 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 really, I, really like, I really like the hot dog on the street with um, actually not the dogs but the sausage with a little, little spicy. Then I, I ask to cut them. I ask to put first mustard 
Then uh, onion, uh, like sweet onion on the top. And uh, that's it. Awesome. Okay, we have two more questions. Uh, What's the best piece of cooking advice you've ever received? Buy seasonal. Buy the right amount of product you need. Dedicate to yourself like half an hour every couple of days to shop and, uh, you know, cook what you have in a refrigerator. So buying seasonal, you're going to save money, uh, not waste food. You're going to save money and you're going to eat much better. Okay, I think we have time for one more question from Hillary. Shoot. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? I think uh, what I write to the books, live your life as a dream, full of passions. So if you can live your life like, and be conscious that the everyday life is something, is an opportunity, something amazing, without losing yourself in the everyday life, and keep living the dream, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's uh, something uh, that you can re- it can really help you to, to live an amazing life, full of passion, because passion is what is the tool to transfer emotions. So it's like, if you have passion you d- and you decide, you know, Bob Dylan was saying, what is the secret of my success? Waking up in the morning, going to bed in the night, and in the meantime, uh, you know, do what you've chosen to do. So this means that you have to know yourself. In the morning, I wake up, I look myself in the mirror, and I exactly know myself. I know my limit. And, uh, you know, I say thank you every, every morning to, for the life that I'm, I'm living. That is some that is some great advice. Well, Massimo, thank you so much for chatting with thank us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you to have me here. I'm very, very happy. And so we can find you on Instagram on Bottura Massimo. Bottura oh, Massimo. Massimo Bottura, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Excellent. before the name, yeah. And uh, Food for Soul also has a homepage that has yes. a lot of information. So. Keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. That follow follow Food for Soul. So Food for Soul is foodforsoul.it because you guys are living in Italy. And what is the name of the book? Uh, the name of the book is going to be Bread is Gold, uh, Recipe for a Revolution. I don't know. There's, is, everything is... Uh, it, the book is going to come out in autumn. We are working on that. Lara is like, writing an incredibly funny story about all these 65 chefs. They're like came to Milan and they live the experience and uh, it's going to be a very interesting book. I said to to Fiden that uh, is the publisher I said we need one of these books in every single family of the world you know because we need this book everywhere because it's, uh, there are incredible advice by the, the best chef in the world. And uh, awesome thanks so awesome. much chef. Awesome. The Eater Upsell is recorded at Vox Media Studios in Manhattan and Los Angeles. Your hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and Greg Morabito, that other guy whose voice you hear on every episode. Our executive producer is Maureen Giannone. Our associate producer and editor is Daniel Janine. Our editorial producer is Monica Burton. Our studio team is Miles Ewell, Alex Ulreich, Paige Bethman, and Stephanie Broderick. 
And our editor-in-chief and fearless leader is Amanda Clute. But of course, of all of these people, the one who makes all of this possible, without whom none of this could exist, without whom we would just wither and die, is you, dear listener, you. Thank you for listening to what we do here, and thank you for being your beautiful self. 